Today I have with me a multi-instrumentalist, pianist, composer, and founder of Jazz for Peace. Rick de la Rata is considered by many to be one of the finest singer-pianists performing today and one of only a handful of jazz artists who can make a successful musical presentation to a large audience without having to abandon the truer form of jazz. He has performed all over the world and his achievements as a world-class musician as well as his musical message through Jazz for Peace were summed up when he was referred to as Mr. Jazz by former President George Bush and congratulated by former President Barack Obama for everything he has accomplished to that point and challenging humanity to realize that the forces that unite us are far stronger than the forces that divide us. In this episode, we explore the art of learning and growing through curiosity and delve into the challenges of balancing personal and artistic goals. From spiritual and intellectual rewards to finding a philosophy that works for you, we'll discuss how these elements contribute to the big picture of a fulfilling musical career and any career for that matter. Learn how some musicians have overcome addiction by helping others through their art the role of stoicism in putting things in perspective, and the importance of enjoying the journey. Discover how inner wealth is the key to happiness and how one musician's journey to bring peace through jazz began on 9-11 and expanded to a whole movement. Plus, we'll explore how living up to the standards set by others can actually raise your own bar and how being a leader means helping others bring out their best for the benefit of the team. And by the way, we get our own private concert with Rick De La Rata performing for us right here in this episode. So let's get started. Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different live events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, I have with me a multi-instrumentalist, pianist, composer, and founder of Jazz for Peace. Rick de la Rata is considered by many to be one of the finest singer-pianists performing today and one of only a handful of jazz artists who can make a successful musical presentation to a large audience without having to abandon the true art form of jazz. Through his lifelong endeavor to help advance people to their highest potential through the understanding of jazz, as well as spreading peace worldwide through his Jazz for Peace World Tour, Rick de la Rata is considered to be an innovator and a visionary. He's originally from New York, but has performed all over the world, and his achievements as a world-class musician, as well as his musical message through Jazz for Peace, were summed up when he was referred to as Mr. Jazz by former President George Bush and congratulated by former President Barack Obama. So help me in welcoming Rick de la Rata. Hi, Rick. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much, Christina. So Glad nice to, to have you here. Yeah, I'm so happy that we connected. And uh, even though we had a little glitch, that we're here together and that we can have a wonderful conversation. And um, tell a little bit about you. Like, what's your story? How do you get to be a musician so that people know a little bit more about Rick? Well, uh, probably it comes from, a, I, I have a musical background that goes back quite a few generations. Um, you know, immediately in my, you know, in my family that I knew of was my grandfather. He was an accordion player. And, uh, you know, the legend is that he kind of came from Italy with really nothing but uh, accordion and perhaps a wine press because he was also a great winemaker. So so I, you had him and then, uh, you know, his children played music and especially my father was a classical French horn player. And then I was also fortunate that my mother uh, played piano and she also played the organ in the church. So I did have that musical background. And then um, I also had an interest when I was a kid to try and catch Santa Claus uh, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and I I tried unsuccessfully a couple of times. I just fell asleep, woke up, he came and left. Uh, but this one time I thought I caught him because something came in the front door very late. I had to be very um, 
sneaky about it because I didn't want my parents were not wild about the idea at all. So uh, I kind of peeked around and I did see someone very large moving a large object through the door. I figured it was something that couldn't fit down the chimney. And that was enough for me. You know, he's down there and he's there. And I, I you know, I don't want to get caught. So I, I, or, or I just might have just fallen asleep. But, you know, the next day, uh, it was a piano that had been moved. I didn't know what it was, but I just figured I'd better figure it out because Santa brought it here. It must be for some re good reason. So I started messing around on the piano, even literally standing up and playing like this when nobody was, but I didn't want anyone to catch me. I wanted to figure it out all by myself. So it kind of, you know, it kind of steamrolled from there. I mean, eventually someone told somebody, hey, you know, your son's over there messing around with that piano all the time, whenever you're not looking or whatever. Somehow it led to piano lessons. Uh, and one thing just led to another as a kid. Um, I mean, I was I was a paper boy uh, trying to, you know, make some money as a paper boy. And then the music thing kind of took it over. Uh, I believe the first thing that happened was my homeroom teacher, his sons had a band that was going to play for all the school dances. So he wanted me to play in that. Then uh, there was like three things. The other one was um, there was a grown up band that wanted me to play with them for the private parties. And they said, don't worry, kid, we'll sneak in and out of the bars or whatever. You know, they no, you know, we'll just we'll take care of it. And so uh, they would pick me up and bring me home, you know, the band leader. And then on top of that, my mother wanted me to play the organ in the church. So between the three of those, I kind of had to quit my paper route. And that was it for me. I've never, you know, that's the only job, other job I had was that paper boy. Wow. So we have to blame Santa for, for you being a great pianist. <laughs> it's all his fault. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a funny story where you're, you're seeing this big guy, probably he, they need a big guy to move the piano. That's so, such a great story. And why jazz? Why that type of music? You know, I it, it got to the point, I my strategy was I'll play anything because the music I liked was just, I was very happy with the music on the radio. That was fine with me. And, you know, it looked like, you know, it could be, you know, you could you could be a star or you could make money. And of course, girls are going to attract girls. All of that sounded really good, you know, and it just seemed like you were doing something, bringing people joy, you know, so it looked like it was all a good deal. But I was studying classical music and I couldn't deny, you know, the great artists, the great composers that whose music I was playing, you know, people like Chopin, I was kind of astounded, Bach and all those people. And then what happened was I kind of accidentally um, bumped into some drawer in the library and I opened it up and it was all of these, I mean, a lot of records and like who, I didn't know who any of these, like, who are these guys and what are, what are they doing in this drawer and what is going on here? And I started taking those records out of the library. And then I was like, wow, I don't know what this is, but again, I cannot deny it. I cannot, you know, I can't debunk it. I, you know, it's kind of like, you just I, I've got to get to the bottom of this now, you know, because it was music and it was there was something substantial to it. Then I found out, you know, it was it was a, our country's greatest art form and all of this stuff. And then it tied into my interest in figuring out the piano by myself, because that was a very improvisatory act. I mean, I was all set to learn it by myself, and I continued my own explorations uh, whenever somebody wasn't paying attention or not looking. And only now and then would my mother, hey, I, you're not practicing your lesson, you know, that kind of thing. Only that was the only thing that really kept me to practice my lesson was when they would say, hey, what are you doing over there, you know? So so that was the exploratory side of me really connected with these jazz musicians that I discovered in this drawer of a library. So I felt the connection with these people and one thing kind of led to another. Of course, the, the classical composers also were great improvisers. And um, I just figured, you know, I'll just embrace the whole thing and see, and, and you know, see what happens, you know what I mean? Um, embrace the whole thing. And there's a friend of mine says something really funny about that uh, and call it macaroni, he says, a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. 
No, it's amazing how curiosity is such a drive in your life and, and for everything that you do. And so I think that's a trait that we all need all the time. And if you want to experiment, if you want to grow, you need curiosity as part of, you know, one of your values and one of the things that you put out there in life. And I, I had one time an encounter with a, a music teacher. I think it was back in school when I was in school. And she told me one thing that really shocked me because she basically said that, I don't know if she was talking about her or not, but that everything had invented. So Chopin and Mozart had already invented all the classical music. So they were just lucky because they were there first. And I thought, wow, that's a very different way to put this. And that's just to say that, you know, creativity doesn't end. And she was basically putting an end to creativity, you know. So I thought that was a very fixed mindset way of seeing music, you know. So I was shocked to see that. So I'm happy to see that musicians have this creativity and curiosity driving them. And I think we should all have that. So in your journey, how is it to, because we all have, or many have the idea that musicians have a hard life. You know, you have this on one side, all this creativity, but then the business side and living off your music, it's very hard. How is that for you? It's really an astounding challenge because you keep thinking that, you know, if you do this, then that you're going to get that result, you know, and so often uh, it's very difficult to put together some kind of a package that works because there's so many there's so many things that you care about. You know, a person who only cares about money, it's a whole nother ball game. you know, especially if they're willing to tr throw their ethics out the window and their morals and they become a psychopath. You can really make a lot of money on this planet. <laughs> You know, as a nutcase, you know what I mean? Yeah. But once you, once you have integrity and you have all of these other qualities and, you know, you're like, you have uh, uh, musical goals, artistic goals, man, it becomes complicated and it becomes difficult. And um, it, it's, it's just, uh, I found a lot of the times that sacrifice is the best way because, um, you know, you often have to sacrifice artistically to grow, you know, and I, I would find myself doing musical projects for the growth. And fortunately, I would get paid, but I couldn't really continue once the growth stopped. So I would, you know, and sometimes you grow into something that's more challenging financially. Um, and there, there's stories about this with great, you know, it, it, but the thing is, it's part of history. So you have to look at, you know, Beethoven and people like that uh, had the same difficulties. Um, you know, in jazz, there's the story of, of John Coltrane. Actually, my teacher was uh, Jackie Byard at New England Conservatory. And I went to that school because I felt like there was something very special about him. And I was accepted in the classical department. He was in the jazz department, but I eventually was able to study with him. But he had told me himself, he said Coltrane asked him to be in his band. And he was going to be, instead of McCoy Tyner, it was actually originally going to be Jackie Byard. And then one day train said to him listen jackie i gotta talk to you because i know you got a wife he says yeah you got kids yeah he says i can't that's gonna be you know it this is too risky and you know i i can't take that risk of you know the wife and the kids what if you know you can't feed your kids and that's on me you know it, it, these are the people that you know today we would think oh they would have no problems today but you know today i mean even when he died I was in high school uh, and I asked my high school teacher about him and my high school teachers just just said, oh, he's some crazy drug addict. How are mm -hmm. you going to make a living if people are describing you like that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Just, um, there's a lot of moving parts that you have to put together. One is the rewards that you get spiritually. There are spiritually rewards. There are intellectual rewards. There is a wealth that you can get uh, from music. It stimulates your intellect. So you have to look at the big picture all the time. Second of all, one thing that's interesting for me with Jazz for Peace is you're helping others. And what I found is that people that make a lot of, even that people that make a lot of money have a lot of problems if they are not helping others and they don't realize that they, that, that, that they have that need and they satisfy it. Then you have people that are involved with, uh, uh, you know, drug addiction. And I've seen these videos and it turns out when they found their way, 
they found something that was beneficial to society and it was helping others. And by helping others, they felt this inner wealth and that helped them to conquer their problems and addictions. And there's a lot of stories of people who didn't go the path that they were meant to go. And even though it things, even though they might have four vacation homes, you know, they're a basket case in inner, you know what I mean? So you've got to satisfy your soul. You've got to satisfy your spirit. And also it's really good if you can be involved in helping others and making a difference. I think the mission of everybody is to actually make everybody else's life a little bit better. So contribution, it's a big thing. And I think it's one of the basic needs that if we feel, if we feel that cup, then we're going to feel better too. So yeah, you're right. And then also balancing your life so that you get nourishment and your spiritual side and economic side too. But all of the, all of that has a value that you have to take into account. And I, and I think as an artist, and, and I want to hear your point about this, is that the one thing is to be the artist and that's the, you know, the art form and to be good at that. But there's also the business side of your art form. And to, you also need to learn some of that so that you can, you know, get some money out of it. Otherwise it's a hobby or, or a passion that you have, right? What is your input on that? Well, that's very true. And uh, I think what's crushing is that that whole dichotomy, because on the one hand, if you don't figure out a way to make a living, then you're stuck with, you know, trying to play catch up in a, in a sense, you know, maybe you're a taxi driver or something else. And then you're trying to catch up after your job, you know, that's very difficult, you know, so you've got You've got that weight on your shoulders, um, that almost impossible. You know, because you mentioned Spain and you're in Spain, I, when I was thinking, I was thinking about the story of the bullfighter, right? The bull, I mean, that's a rigged game, right? They they stabbed that bull like four or five times with a, and then the bull comes out. And the, of course, the guy looks great, but he's fighting a handicapped bull. That bull, if they didn't, if they didn't uh, or drug or drug or stab or slice him with uh, you know these swords and stuff, he you know that bull would probably destroy the guy. And this is what you're up against sometimes as a musician. You're up against the situation where you're the bull. You're you're going out to the to the battle with four four uh, swords inside you. And there's a there's a numerous ways that that can happen. You know, one is. Uh, the situation that we just spoke of where maybe you, you know, your true calling is to be in your heart is to be the artist, but you don't, you, you have to get a job, get the job. And now that job is tiring. You you come home from that job and you're tired and maybe you have other responsibilities. How are you going to get, you know, now you're, 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 you know, you're out, it's, you're like a bull trying to fight that battle. You're already handicapped. You know, the other one is the music industry is brutal and you kind of need representation one way or the other. And I mean, I will stick anyone in front of a music industry person before I will myself. You know what I mean? I'll put, I mean, I'll literally put a um, a stuffed animal, you know, and go, you know, and do something like that. Just talk to here, talk to my stuffed animal, talk to anybody. But you have to think there has to be some sort of buffer. Otherwise, you know, you, you just get, it's an uneven sort of thing. And then you've got, you know, the greatest musical, the greatest passion of your life that you're doing in the worst business end of it. So you do have to find what well, interesting for me um, is that I will often find myself representing the outstanding causes that I do my events for. So that takes me from having to represent myself so much because I'm standing up for the cause, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, yeah. and, and the cause needs it too, because sometimes for them, it's hard, it's hard for them. It's uh, disingenuous for them to have to speak on their own behalf, you know, whereas I can, and sometimes in their town, people don't believe them or they think, you know, they take them for granted, you know, that kind of thing where you're never, you're never a prophet in your hometown, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was showing someone an event we did in Nepal and I, I would wanted to say to him, uh, and I don't know if he got, understood what I was trying to say, but it's very hard for, for if you look at that event, for that, for that to happen for someone who was even someone just like me in 
Kathmandu would very likely, unlikely be raised, raised to this incredible lofty status that I was granted because I was coming from another place. When I got back to New York, I got no credit for that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look what I just did. They looked at me like, what are you talking about? You're you're the, you know, you're you're my buddy from, you know, I go bowling with you on Wednesday or something like that. You know, I don't bowl, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, they don't don't get, you know, you might even you might even have lost your place in line somewhere. You might even be worse off. But if you look at the event, you know, they're they're like, you know, oh, you know, so it you you have to take you have to put things into perspective. Um, I was recently asked for a print article. Five different things that bring me happiness. And all I did was I started each thing was find a blank that works for you find a blank that works for you. And it was five different things. And the first one I said was find a philosophy that works for you. And I, for the one that worked for me was stoicism or that's worked for me recently. And it's just, um, it's a philosophy that kind of puts things in, in perspective. And you have to do that. You have to find something that puts things into perspective. Otherwise you can, you can drive yourself crazy. And that's one thing. It, it's important that if you're going to go crazy, make sure it's somebody else that drove you crazy, not you. And usually you find out that you have to participate in order for you to, to bring yourself down. You have to play a role. In other words, someone can only do so much or, or the oppressive, the oppressive music industry can only do so much to you without you finishing yourself off. You have to let it get to your spirit. You have to allow it to crush your spirit. Do you see what I mean? You have to enable it. So you have, you have to make sure like, wait a minute, unless I get all upset, this isn't going to work unless I get down in the dumps, unless I just, and I don't feel like doing that. I'm too selfish. I want to have a good time today. I'm not going to do that. So you, you, you take the part out of you that's playing a role in it. And sometimes Mm. you'll find that hmm, you can survive it as long as you take your emotions out of, you know, what the part that you're supposed to play to destroy yourself. Yeah. You have a dance. And if you you decide if you want to dance with a partner, you know, it's like, no, this dance doesn't work for me. So let me change and find someone else. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I can I can say it in dancing, which is what I do. So, yeah. Okay. And that's dancing is also the same, right? Yeah. Extreme challenging. I mean, because almost every girl, it seems like almost every girl wants to be a dancer. If you ask them at a certain age, they would say dancer. Many you know? of so them. Yeah. Incredible yeah. dream of, of women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And between all the people that you know through the music industry, what makes someone uh, be more successful than others? What are the things that you've seen with all the musicians that you've you've played with and the ones that have played with you? Well, again, now that's you, you have to, you have to put the definition of success in perspective, you yeah. know. So yeah. now my perception of su- success is different than let's say it might have been before. One interesting thing that you know I thought about just in the past few days that uh, has occurred to me is you were sometimes we learn something wrong and we're worse off than someone who didn't learn it at all and one thing that people easily learn incorrectly is that fame or success in fame is going to be an addition do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not an addition at all it's a change because uh you know there have been some events where i was famous at the event so i got to feel like what it would be to be a big star because i momentarily was and i was like oh my god all these people recognize you they all want to take selfies with you like that would not work for me if i, I would be like wait a minute I, I want no you don't get it you don't get to choose you know what i mean that's your reality you have to deal with a whole new reality so it's not in addition so what is success you know there has to it has to be more of an inner thing achieving your goals uh navigating fame that would be challenging to me if you could pull that off to me you're pretty successful because i kept (laughs) hearing of the horror stories of people who were famous and what a horrific you know how they were destroyed by the fact that they were famous and they lost their privacy and all of that stuff so i think really what probably has a lot to do with it is finding out what means something to you 
And knowing you did your best to achieve that at least makes you right with you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So from there you have a foundation that, okay, now what, it might be nice to be right with these other people too, but that's not a guarantee because if you look at a lot of great artists, some of them were not liked at all during their lifetime. I mean, you know, I'm Vincent Van Gogh is an example. I mean, they signed a petition to throw him out of his town. I think it was his hometown. The people all had a petition out, you know, and he didn't sell a painting his whole life. But now we would think he's successful because, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's a perspective. For me, it's figuring out, okay, you know, where do I fit in terms of my own personal growth in these areas, you know, growing as a human being, growing as an artist, growing as a, a musician, you know, et cetera. I like to feel like I played a good game of life each as many days as I can pull it off. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. You play a good game of life. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because even even as artists or scientists, it's so hard to define what success is because what it means to that person may not mean the same for the rest of the world, you know, because some artists and some scientists were very unhappy, but what they did was very useful for humanity, you know. So we're going to say they were really successful in what they brought to the world, but are they successful in their own life? You know, that's a that's a question that only they can answer. You know, so yeah, I agree. And and a lot of times, though, that same person was very unsuccessful until they got that breakthrough. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you you could be, you know, it, it could take a lot. So I think the journey is very important. I think you have to value the journey. Yeah. You really have to value the journey. That's an amazing point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that for everything but especially as, as artists because in the whole journey you're growing you're experiencing you're creating you're changing but i think all all in everything in life you have to enjoy the journey if you do then you enjoy life a lot more than if you're just waiting for the last goal or for that record or for that you know contract or for that money or for whatever it is right and so many people that had, you know, extraordinary fame on a, you know, monetarily level or on a, you know, notoriety level were then interviewed and said they thought that was going to solve their problem. It didn't at all. Uh, and then there's a lot of strange things. I mean, there's a Miles Davis autobiography, one chapter where he's like, I had this, I had that, I couldn't, nobody would hire me. I was, I was, my, I was brokenhearted. I was this and that. And at the end of this just horrific train wreck of a year, he says, and that was the best year of my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The growth that came from it probably. <laughs> Well, you know, because I think it was, he was living with such vibrancy. So it wasn't pretty, but it was vibrant, you know, it was before he was famous and he said it was the best year of his life. So, you know, it was, you would never dream that he would say that at the end of that chapter. And what makes you happy? I think, well, it, it definitely inner wealth, I think is more important than outer wealth. Um, you need, you, you have, you know, you need basic necessities, you know, there's certain things that you need, but, um, you're, you're not going to, once you get beyond a certain point, you don't get that much bang for your buck. Um, that third vacation home does not bring as much as, you know, the heat and hot water did. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. You know, you see a lot of people that have so much and yet all they can do is get more. But that more of the same thing is not necessarily going to, you know what I mean? So the struggle for me to at least just make ends meet ended up giving me a lot of inner wealth because I had a lot of achievement at the end of it. You know, I was shocked at what I was achieving, but struggling so hard. You know, I mean, I was struggling so hard just to get the money that the guy downstairs makes selling fruit. But the achievement was so high in terms of the goals I was fulfilling musically and artistically, the causes that in their own words, I was helping the letters that they would send to me. So I think, uh, you know, uh, there's something to be said for that. I mean, that, that brought me a lot of, a lot of inner, well, a, a lot of inner happiness, I think. And what made you then create Jasper Peace? 
Well, Jazz for Peace really started on the morning of 9-11. Okay, so uh, what, what had happened was um, I received a phone call that morning. I was sleeping from a woman who had been taking pictures of me the day before. And she was taking pictures of me because uh, photographers will do that. They will find somebody and, and that is, is not well-known, but that they think might be well-known, and then do this little trade-off where they take pictures and then, you know, they keep the negatives and he gets up some free photos. And the story I tell a lot is that uh, Paul McCartney's wife, Linda McCartney, who was named Linda Eastman at the time, she was she did the same thing. Uh, you know, she used to walk around uh, down in uh, Tompkins Square Park and, and the West Village in New York City and just, you know, see some guy with a it would be Bob Dylan. And she'd say, hey, you know, can I take some pictures or, you know, all those all those people, Jimi Hendrix. And she took pictures of them and gave them, you know, the, their free photos. And she had, and when those people became well known, she was the only one who had the photos. Negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the only one who had had these photos. And so she, you know, rose. Uh, then she ended up getting these high profile calls, like to shoot the Beatles, where she met Paul. Uh, you know, uh, but she rose to fame that way. Anyway, I was um, the woman who had taken pictures of me the day before, just in the East Village, you know, in front of a dumpster, in front of here, in front of there, She and gave me photos. She called and said, hey, you know, because she had a Wall Street job to pay for her photo, you know, for her photography career was being paid by a Wall Street job. Mm -hmm. And she was down, on, you know, she was downtown, near, you know, and, and she, um, told me that her boss's son worked in the other world trade center and something happened and she's like i don't know what to talk to i'm just calling you uh, i said you know what let me go up and take a look because i was living uh close to the world trade center and i i was on the fifth floor walk up and it was only five floors so i just walked up to the roof and i was like whoa my god you know i saw saw everything only one building had been hit when i walked up on the roof so you know, I, I was like, it was just, so the words just came out, a poem called Jazz for Peace, which I'll do today when I do the little music thing. And um, it really took on a life of its own from there. But, you know, they say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So my life as a musician had prepared me for the chance to try to live up to the words that came out of the poem on that day. So it started out as a poem. It, you know, uh, the words just came out. I wrote them down. There was I didn't know what do you do when you're looking at something like that. And I don't know what to do. The only thing I could do was write a poem. So I had all I had was a poem, and then I recited that poem uh, after you know everything was closed down for a couple of weeks. And then when it opened up, I had a major jazz festival that I was performing at, and I recited the poem at that. And then I had another major gig back up this way. This was in Savannah, Georgia. Then I had to fly back up here. And the week after that, I had something. And they had heard about that. And they, they, they kept asking me, are you going to put it to music? And then I put it to music. And I opened the concert with Jazz for Peace. And then articles came out. You know, Delorada starts concert with Jazz for Peace and all that stuff. So, you know, one thing led to another. And then I was able to say to my, you know, manager, uh, at the time, like I said, the person, you know, that I was sticking in between myself and, you know, the, the people, you know, the, 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 mo the big monster music industry. Look, I mean, if you if you don't mind, if you could just call over to the United Nations and tell them I want to do something, you know, but I had a resume. I said, show them all the things I've done. Show them show them what I've done. Say, I want to do this. I want to bring Israeli, Palestinians and Americans together, you know for a concert at the United Nations. And that took about a year of, you know, whatever she would call. And I don't even know how she got through, you know, they probably routed her to this, leave a message there and you yeah. know, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, our home office in Scottsdale, Arizona or whatever. I, you know, I don't know how she would have run around in some circle. Finally, though, I ended up doing that event nice. of which nobody, yeah, nobody showed up to that either, but <laughs> Yeah, we put out press releases, you know, all that stuff because it's a corporate media. I mean, you know, if it's not going to sell to if you look, if you want to save the world, you better, it better sell some toothpaste, I guess, because <laughs> because we know about everybody. And, and, and someone even came up to me at the United Nations and he said, see all those bleachers over there? I said, yeah, I said, if a bomb exploded, you'd get all the publicity you wanted. How sad. So. 
anyway, as time went on, people started to, it was after, as time went on, that people started to comment about the significance of what I did that day. You see what I mean? Yeah. By the yeah. 50th, and as the benefit concert series continued forward uh, with more and more concerts, your 100th benefit concert, your 150th benefit concert, you know, then then people started to see this, the significance of that event and, and say things as, you know, I got a letter from Barack Obama. I got a letter from Hillary Clinton. I got a letter from, you know, the Michael, Bl the mayor of New York City at the time. You know, people started mentioning that in, in their letters or introductions. And so, so you know, it's um, it, one thing just kind of led to another. And I just felt like if these organizations are writing me these letters after the events, telling me I really did make a difference, uh, I should probably keep going and maybe try to improve the program and just, you know, it just kept going from there. Nice. So it was kind of like an inspiration moment that you had that just uh, started like a snowball and just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But you also trusted that it was that it had a purpose and that it was useful. Well, yeah, because I'm I'm kind of trying to live up to the words that I wrote. That's you know, that's one thing we rarely do. You know, we're really good at saying stuff, but then trying to live up to it, you know, and see what's tough for me. What was really tough for me was a lot of people that I admired would say something. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to live up to this now. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, one was uh, actually uh, um, Noam Chomsky. I don't know if you know who Noam Chomsky is, but he, yeah, you know, yeah, who it is. Okay. yeah. So I, I mean, I get this email once from Noam Chomsky and it just, I mean, only, it wasn't very long, just a couple sentences, but he says, um, you know, this, I don't, I, I don't, it's on our website somewhere, but this, this, this thing that you do, this aspect of it, you know, something like that. And then he, he says, I greatly admire those who, who participate or whatever, you know, and I'm like, greatly at greatly admire because i you know i greatly admire you and you're telling me you greatly admire what greatly admire what i do and i'm like oh man i don't want to let this guy down you know what i mean <laughs> i love so, that but that's also kind of like a motivation push you know <laughs> so many because i would get so many letters from people and they would all have in their own words have these little things and i'm like oh my god i'd hate to let this one down that one down you know yeah. i mean i think i could pull it off but i i you know i definitely can't pull it off if i don't concentrate on it you know staying at you know that level or or whatever you know i mean just anybody john mccain you know once sent me and said you know uh, you know, things were a wonderful, you know, things like that. I'm like, she's okay. Well, let me see if I can keep things, you know, it just made me want to make sure I try my best each time, you know? And I think that that's a, an important thing that I didn't think about before when you're saying, putting out, you know, when you have these people saying the things that they're saying and having an expectation of what you're doing and in a way putting some pressure that it can go both ways. When uh, people put these comments, I want to say put, um, I don't know if that's the word, but in a way is appreciation and then at the mm -hmm. same time expectation. And so it can put a pressure on you where you can feel overwhelmed if you don't perform to the level of whatever expectation you feel they have. And at the same time, so it can be like a crashing down, uh, you know, where you feel overwhelmed by them, or it can be a pushing up, you know, where you say, okay, I'm going to bring out the best out of me so that I can fulfill that expectation. And and I feel like some people maybe can take it the wrong way. Like if they take it as a pressure and don't perform, right. you know, to whatever they feel they should perform, then it can be on the wrong way. So it's beautiful that you took it as a challenge. I'm going to bring the best out of me so I don't let them down. And so for you, it was a motivator, like a pusher, instead of something that will bring you down and and make you feel like you, you know, that you didn't belong there or didn't perform well enough or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I if I really do my best and I, and I know I did my best, best i do i did you know the best i could then you were wrong for saying it you know what i mean but yeah. if i didn't do my best then you may have said you may have been 
I made you wrong, you know, or I, you know, I don't want it to be on me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, nobody's perfect, yeah, but yeah. I do feel like, you know, um, I lucked into a, a good pro, you know, it's, you know, um, the thing we talked about back to the bull again, is that one reason that we do try to do things thoroughly, like learning and studying music, studying all forms of music is so that we can navigate when things are not at the optimum level, you know, when we don't, you know what I mean? There's a time that the conductor drops a stick. Well, he's got to figure out a way to keep the orchestra going. And uh, I was telling someone a story about how I was in a incredible performance hall, amazing acoustics, unbelievable piano. And I would have loved to have been hired there on the, you know, artists pro series that they have, but you know, in the music industry, that's you may or you may not, you know, you might you might do everything right. And you just don't for, for a variety of reasons could be anything, you know, you're not on that. But I was there as Jazz for Peace because of our benefit concert series. I, I found myself playing in that wonderful hall. It wasn't part of that. So now uh, but I'm in the bull. I got the bull thing because I'm not bringing my band that I would bring and I'm not playing for the audience of, you know, people that would, you know what I mean? That I would bring. I'm instead playing for, you know, of just a bunch of people. Some of them may never have heard jazz in their life. I mean, you know, much more challenging sort of situation. Uh, some of them might, and some of them maybe haven't even the ones that might I'm playing with people that I've never met before. I have to show up and they're sidemen and they're just musicians from that town. You know what I mean? So again, I'm like the bull with, you know, and sometimes that happens like you, you would be if you had all that together, but no, I'm showing up with, you know, with the hand, these handicaps, with these swords, and I still got to beat the bull, bullfighter, you know, that may, may be made a fool out of, you know, it's going to be, there could be some guy with a cape making fun of me because I'm, you know, I'm handicapped here. So what I did was what I had to do, I had to, because I'm starting to play with the musicians and I know these musicians are not going to be able to just play my show like certain musicians, maybe in New York, if I was lucky enough, or some certain towns, maybe, or if I had my own band, you know what I mean, which I did not. So now I have to do something because, you know, the sound check is almost over. The people are going to start coming in. So I took these guys backstage and I said, listen, um, what are what's your favorite music to play? You know, what is your favorite? So the bass player told me his favorite bass players, his favorite records, his favorite, what we really liked. Then the drummer told me what he really liked. And I decided I'm going to be the side man for these two guys. I'm going to play. I'm going to use my skills to make this bass player sound better than he could ever sound in his idiom of passion that he likes. I'm going to play in that style for him and make him, you know, shoot him through a cannon. Then I'm going to play in the style of which this drummer, you know, his favorite drummers, his favorite music, his favorite albums, his favorite, you know what I mean? That style that he can excel at, you know what I mean? And I'm going to play it what these guys excel at and that's what we did and there was an intermission and someone came down and said boy that audience just loves you guys i don't know what you're doing you pulled a rabbit out of your hat they love you up there oh thank you very much whatever blah, blah blah and the really funny thing was at the end of it like the sound engineer or whatever came up to me and he said you know what was lucky about you that other people didn't fare so well so what was lucky about you was you had really good sidemen. You know what <laughs> <No>. I mean? <laughs> you just so, you just show what leadership is about. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, that would he, he would have thought the exact opposite. He would have either thought I stunk or my sidemen stunk or both. Had we played the show that I was going to play, mm. you see what I mean? Yeah, we yeah, played a completely yeah. different show, and mm. now he thought the sidemen were fantastic and. That was part of the, that was probably the reason for the success of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but those yeah. are the things that you have to do. You know, you, you know what I mean? You have, you still have to beat the bullfighter, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
but you you demonstrate leadership you know it's just how can you it's, it's about teamwork and it's about making bringing out the best in the people that you have around and what are their skills you know that you can bring out and 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 then you will all shine together much better so yeah that's that's amazing and and Rick, what is a funny story that you've encountered in in all the concerts and things? I'm sure you have lots of them, and you have lots of stories to tell. But what is one of them that is funny that happened to you? Well, someone told me that him and his assistant were cracking up at this story that I told. It was only a few days ago. Uh, someone who's uh, he's a musician and he had performed with Jazzerpiece and he wants to launch his own podcast. And he want, he's, he interviewed me first to kind of help launch his podcast. And he has a great concept. I think he's an interview a lot of musicians or whatever. But anyway, the two of them are, are talking to me as his assistant. And uh, I was telling them this story about how I went to Haiti, you know, and, you know, I mean, usually, you know, you bring ha people from Haiti, you bring them here, you know, you bring them somewhere else, you know, and, and I said to him, I told him the first time, I said, you know, people were so surprised that I was being brought over to Haiti by Haitians, you know what I mean, uh, because of Jazz for Peace. And I go over there, and when I get there, the first thing I notice is that, and I had no idea, I said, this place looks exactly Ghana. Ghana, Africa, because I had recently Ghana only maybe the year before. And I'm like, am I having some kind of a LSD flashback or does nobody know this? And I'm saying to these people, you know, hey, do you guys know that your country looks exactly like Ghana? And they're like, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I keep, someone's got to know that. I mean, someone, because I was in Ghana and I'm like, I feel like I'm in Ghana. I really do. I feel like you could you could have told me I was in you could have told me you rerouted the plane. It got hijacked and I would have thought I was in Ghana, Africa. So this went on for days. Finally, at the end of the trip, someone said, you know, Rick, you keep asking us. And I got to tell you, the reason that we don't know this or nobody knows it is because probably no one's ever been to both Ghana and Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> you're the only guy that's ever been to both places. So you're the only guy that knows this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so that's the thing. I mean, Jasper Peace has taken me places that nobody's gone to. And because of that, I, I'm sitting here with knowledge that's blatant, but nobody knows it because no one's ever been to both places. Most people have never been to either. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, you're yeah. lucky if you've been to one. Yeah. Good luck. But forget about it. If going to both, forget it. You know, you, good luck yeah. finding, you know, you never find somebody who's been to both. And I never have really. I yeah. once in a while, I found someone who maybe went to Ghana or maybe, because even if you go to Haiti, in all honesty, you go to the Dominican Republic. That's where people go to vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is two different oh. countries. They have nothing to do, you know, even though they're side nothing by side, very different countries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what's also strange, we'll see, it only makes sense because. The first place they took me when they, when they brought me to Ghana was the slave castles. Mm. And they're these giant castles, they're on the coast, and they would march the slaves, kidnapped by their own people, because it was such a big, you know, money business, thing. Such yeah, a big yeah, yeah. business. They kidnap their own people, they bring them to these slaves, and then they put them on these ships. Well, those ships then went to Haiti. Those pe people ended up becoming part of a slave uprising. Okay, that overthrew them because there were so many of them after a while. And those people then learned Creole, they learned French, like the French people, and then they were brought from there to New Orleans. And they gave us the word jazz, spelled J A S S. And what does it mean? Well, jazz is a misspelled word. Because jazz is a is a Creole word, it means lively music, and that's what they called what Louis Armstrong and his people like that were doing at that time, as they were just trying to figure out jazz, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they were just trying to, you know, it was growing and developing, and they called it that. So when I got to Haiti, there was a big giant sign at my event that said, "Welcome, Jazz for Peace." J-A-S-S, -S, their word. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, 
So that's where I learned that jazz is spelled miss is a misspelled word anyway. And uh, so I took the Z off because it was misspelled. And then I took the S's off too. Nobody knows the right spelling. Nobody knows it's spelled that. And I ended up with something called free, just J-A. And that's what's led to this thing that I do on all the different podcasts, this little free improvisation to as a stand for freedom of speech, freedom of uh, journalism, honest journalism, reporting on journalism, protection of whistleblowers, and all kinds of things that are really important right now. So I know uh, you're kind enough to want to play something. So do you want to do it now and just share either your song? Yeah, well, so so Free J.A., uh, which is, you know, it's cool because the initials are for, you know, who we're trying to free here. And what's kind of interesting about it is that's taken on a life of its own because we just had a breakthrough with the New York Times uh, and four other, you know, major uh, agencies coming out and saying they also support this idea you know this they, they all they're also in, in support of this and so i don't know if there's truth in if there's strength in numbers but you know one thing i did notice with the benefit concert series is as it gets up like you did 50 50 benefit concerts you know when it got into the hundreds 500 at the 500th one i got a letter from barack obama at the 250th one i got a letter from michael bloomberg you see what i mean so you know it starts to resonate and i just hope that you know what i'm doing is helping along with so many other great people i mean roger waters is doing an incredible job noam chomsky is one of those people who's in in this group of people that you know is 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 fighting for justice here so nice. anyway what i'm going to do because i know you had told me off camera about your experiences at riles and um and that you know the latin jazz and the brazilian yes. night yeah okay so this is actually just for you i do something very unique on every one so this is for you kind of uh it's going to start out with a little bit of latin jazz but kind of a holiday song so it's like uh, uh what child is this it's called or green sleeves people call it but it's latin version so okay. then the Latin thing is going to go into a free improvisation where I, I recite the Jazz for Peace poem. Then I continue into this free J thing. And then I'm going to finish with just, you know, one a short version of a Brazilian classic by Yvonne Linz, one of the great Brazilian composers. That's another story, maybe for another podcast, yeah. but it's called The Island. Nice. Uh, nice. So hopefully it'll bring back memories of your Brazilian experiences upstairs there on thursday nights right yes, was yes. It thursday? okay because i play i was featured there once on a thursday and a years later i had a jazz for peace event and i wanted to do brazilian jazz for peace and i called a drummer you know that i never played with but i i, I liked what he was doing and uh, he said, oh, no, Ricky, I'm familiar. I heard you. I said, how? He said, you played at Riles. And he said it was on Brazilian night. And I was in the Brazilian band upstairs. We all came down and listened to your set. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Nice, nice. So I will stay silent so that you can switch the... Yes, and the... I have to turn this on. I just remember. Yes. Okay, so here we go.
Hear jazz for peace coming through the trees. In my heart, it fills me like a celebration. I see the light and I want to follow, inspired by the past contributions of those that came before. They found work for us to build on.
I clap. I don't have the clapping motion. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. That's such a privilege to hear you firsthand. So nice, so nice. Thank you so much for this. It's, it's a, for me, it's amazing to see an artist. Uh, improvise and just do their thing and see them loving it so much so thank you my pleasure thank you so much and um before we leave i know i always ask this question but i think in your case i really want to ask it and is what is a change you want to see in the world well i would like to i would like to see every country um experience jazz for peace because you know we've been nine times to africa i don't know how some by some miracle we've been nine times to africa uh and i had you know amazing experience performing in spain the one time that i performed there um it was just a blast and i think i told you off camera the story yeah. of someone who was at that concert and recognized me in new york you know uh at that one time and so, uh, you know, I, I would like to, uh, at some point or other, you know, get bring Jazz for Peace to Spain uh, and, and some of the other countries that it hasn't been yet so that, you know, uh, everyone can have a chance to experience something once. I always thought my goal was to be a good enough musician that I, I was qualified to play every place once, you know, and then just doing that would be a career in itself. And then, of course, some places I would play more than once because, you know, they like me or I like them or I worked out for the schedule. And and it's happened with Jazz for Peace. I mean, we've had a lot of multiple grant recipients, et cetera. A lot of countries we've been to, you know, many. But, um, you know, the, there's nothing. I mean, Spain is as good as any place. And so I, I would like to, you know, some of these countries that haven't experienced Jazz for Peace, I, I would like to see that happen uh, just so people can get the flavor of what we do, see if it rubs off on them in a positive way. I think music, music has such an amazing power to heal and to bring people together and to bring joy into people's lives. So for sure, you know, I, I really hope that you can go to all the places in the world and everybody can, can you know, get to know this uh, movement that you, you've created. So I'm really thankful that you've been here and that you share your knowledge and your adventures <laughs> and that we can see yeah, you well, here. What we need to do it, like what we really need is an outstanding cause in Spain or wherever the country is to find out about us. And that's kind of how it happened, you know, with these all the places we've went. An outstanding cause was told about us. Someone told someone, hey, you know, you should check out Jazz for Peace. They did. Maybe through your podcast, they listened to your podcast. Oh, you know what? Yeah. We're an outstanding cause in Spain. Let, let me, let's send them an email. And what they would do is uh, send us an email at info at jazzforpeace.org just saying, you know, I saw your interview with Christina and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, you know, you, that, you made a good point there that, you know, or whatever. And then that's how that's how it starts. Just little things like that. You know, people just writing us an email from out of the blue, something they saw. And then we're able to progress from that from there forward. So for everybody that has a cause, they can contact, contact you and then you will help them create an event which will help the cause and you will bring the Jasper piece and and uh, there's a whole more things going on, I'm sure. But that's kind of like how it starts, right? Yeah, because we provide a world-class cultural event at no cost to them, uh, plus the staffing and expertise and guidance to help make it a success. Through all of the obstacles, I mean, what's amazing is that, you know, through things that Thick, you know, all these things that happen that could go wrong, all of the things that can and do go wrong, I still end up with a letter from these people saying, you know, you we, we got more of this, we got publicity and awareness, you helped us here, you know, it made a yeah. difference. So yeah. that's yeah. what that's what means something to me is knowing that, you know, in their eyes, at least I made a difference. Yeah. So we'll make sure to put all the information in the notes and on the post and when we put this uh, episode out so that people get to know you more and just for peace and they know it's a resource that they can, you know, get to through you so that they can uh, do something for their cause with music, with jazz. And I think that's amazing because that's a, such a more fun way <laughs> to raise awareness of whatever cause that needs awareness. So... Well, but thank you, Rick, for your patience today. We had a little bit of glitches today with everything. And I wish we could make this a lot longer. So maybe in the future we can bring you back and we can talk a little bit more about uh, the projects that you're on at that moment. 
But I want to thank you for your time and for doing the things that you're doing for peace in the world. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.